Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, Presidential Podcast, PDLA Podcast, the Pampers Podcast. You know, we had the, the Pronger cast, the Knubel cast, the, the Prop cast, the, the Poulin cast. We had the Hitchcock cast, the Baruby cast, the AV cast, the Travis Konechny cast. Look, there have been a lot of casts, but there is no cast quite like the Colby Cohen cast. <laughs> and he is here once again filling in for Anthony Sanfilippo, who I think now we're almost, we're almost very close to being able to start poking fun at Anthony again. We're, we're, we're really close. How are you this week? You know, I'm good. And no matter how many times I do this show with you, the opening always, it's like taking smelling salt when you're on the bench getting ready for a puck drop and the trainer hands you that stick. And if he breaks it, you, you give it a smell and you just, your eyes feel like they're going to pop out of your head. When you do the intro, no matter how ready I am for it, I am never ready for the intro. I, I need the smelling salt. So I'm, I'm good. All, all things considered, I'm good. All right. So don't forget, Colby Cohen is opening a new Shopify store, smelling salts and bath salts with Colby <laughs> Cohen. So get excited for that, everyone out there. It's a new sponsor on the podcast. Um, just to give everybody an update, because this has been a thing, obviously, that people have been monitoring since last week. I called Anthony uh, and San COVID. And at the time, it was because he and I had just recorded the interview with Travis Sanheim. I think it was earlier that day. And he sounded awful. Like, I'm going to walk people through this really quickly. I won't go too much into it because it's his story to tell. But when we did the interview with Travis Sanheim, um, he couldn't put together two sentences without sending, sounding like he had been like dunked underwater for a long time and was gasping for air. It was scary. And I was like, you need to get to the hospital, you idiot. And Anthony's like stubborn. We know this. This is, this is just how he is. Um, without getting into the details too far, Anthony got uh, rushed to the hospital. We probably almost lost him. He spent the next, I think we're around a week uh, in super uh, monitored care. And I believe it, it was in like the last 12 to 18 hours from when we're recording this, that he got moved from one unit to, I think like more of a, a standard care unit. So uh, I will be very happy when he's done. I will be very happy when he is back in full health, I'm going to hit him. I will say that right now. Um, I'm going to probably smack him for making me and everyone who cares about him upset and worried and the whole thing. But we're not there yet. They've told him it's going to be a long road back, but he's going to be back. He's too damn stubborn to just, you know, let a virus kill him. He, he will not do it. So he said he's going to fight the thing and he's going to come back which means he's going to start terrorizing my life again pretty soon. But that's the update. He has been doing better. And uh, obviously that is a relief for him. It's a relief for his kids. And uh, quite frankly, it's a, a relief for anybody who I think who follows the Flyers or cares about hockey in this market to know that he will be back putting out, you know, 4,000 words after a, you know, six, one loss kind of thing. 
while I go and like cower in, in fear with my tail between my legs and just do not write about that game. Um, anyway, let's get into this. And then, you know, when he, when he has an update, he'll, he'll tweet about it or something and we'll cover it. It'll be great. Um, but we're glad that he's doing better. So Colby, if I, if I told you a week ago that the Flyers were going to start out the season three and one, that they were going to get outshot in every game and that they would win their games by a decisive enough margin where it might actually feel like looking at the final score sheet wasn't indicative of the performance they put out on the ice. Would you have believed me that they're three and one? And would you believe that they would be able to win games in that sort of way? Yes. For all of that, because for the same reason AV was very confident in what the team would do after getting, you know, run over by Buffalo. I mean, embarrassed by Buffalo. And he said, I I know what the guys are going to bring. You know, this isn't his first week with the team. This is year two and it's mostly the same group. And I feel like it's time for all of us to actually trust them. You know, I feel like even last year, there were times where we were waiting for bad, but I feel like it's, it's, you know, I trust this team. I really do. Now I'm not saying I'm handing them the Stanley cup. I'm not, I'm not there with the team yet. I'm really not there with anyone in the league because I think everything is a little chaotic and sloppy right now, which is normal. No preseason games, uh, you know, weird training camp. So I, I, I know that they can win these low-scoring games, which we saw them do it all last year. We saw them, you know, play tight defensively. And, and you look at it, and yes, they're giving up shots, but they defend the, you know, prime areas of the ice well. And sometimes when you do that, you have these teams that kind of hang around the perimeter and shoot the puck. And, you know, I think back to maybe even two years ago, when the team was still really up and down. I mean, they really, you know, this is pre-AV, pre-Chuck. They were out shooting teams and never winning. So, you know, shots uh, almost like plus minus can be somewhat deceiving at times. Like it can be deceiving. It's, it's really like you look at chances, um, you know, grade A chances in those high danger areas more than you're really focusing on shots. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised at any of it. I thought they'd get off to a good start. There's a confidence about this team. And, you know, so far, they've played a lot of good periods. And the periods they haven't necessarily played great, they've sort of bent but not broken. They've gotten saves. They've gotten a good defensive play. You know, that, those are signs of a good team, a, a winning team. But, again, it's so early that there's still so many question marks. And, and You know, Washington just had to put four guys on the COVID list today after getting fined $100,000. And how's that going to shape their next two weeks of hockey? They're going to be missing all of their top end skills. So, you know, things are going to change quickly this year, which is why I think we have to sometimes take a deep breath and try to like step back and not be too quick to make, you know, broad conclusions. Like saying that the Flyers have, uh, the deepest forward core in the NHL, as long as they can stay healthy, like that kind of a, uh, a proclamation. So, you know, we, we, we obviously got to find out really early in the season, how deep that core really is. Now, in fairness, when I said that I did have the caveat, if healthy, well, 
they got dealt a massive blow, losing Sean Couturier, the reigning Selkie Trophy winner, which fundamentally changes so many things about the way this team plays and covers up a lot of warts that this team has defensively. So I kind of want to let's let's pick your brain. I wish we had a big screen here, Colby. I wish we had a stage and a big screen that I could have you walk up to and break down the film for everybody. But since we don't walk some people through this. So uh, there was an article was very interesting. It was written by somebody who was called a weasel uh, that said that the flyers aren't going to miss Sean Couturier that much. And that's okay. With like this positive spin that they have, they have some guys available who can fill in. You can't replace Sean Couturier. Like that's just an asinine position to take regardless of if this is supposed to be like a pat on the back good job organization organizational depth like it's nonsense so the way that i perceive it and you've played the game so by all means tell me if i'm an idiot or tell me if i'm on the right track here what sean couturier can do is shut down a guy one-on-one he can get himself into passing lanes he can disrupt a top lines play He, in theory, if he plays against Buffalo, could man mark Taylor Hall or Jack Eichel. He could decide to play off a bit and still be just as disruptive. And by virtue of doing that, it takes a lot of pressure off of the defensive pairings that I've had issues with, at least through the first three games. It covers all that up. And by virtue of that, that also gets all the way back to your netminder in Carter Hart or Brian Elliott. Like it's a cascade effect. And without him there, you start to see some cracks. Am I on the right path? Yeah, and it's funny because you're better off losing a guy who's such an offensive threat than you are a guy who's such a defensive threat. And, I mean, I put Couturier in that same category as Bergeron. And what those guys are able to do, like you you think about football because I feel like that's maybe a good analogy from like a defensive standpoint. And I, and I never played football, but I'll watch hard knocks and I'll listen to some of the analysts talk about making a play defensively. Like you got to make plays when you're on defense. Cause you know, it's not like hockey where the ball's constantly passing around. So the amount of plays that he makes defensively, you, you can't replace that. You can still defend hard and Morgan Frost can come in and do a good job defensively. And you know, maybe all of a sudden, instead of playing as aggressive of a four check, maybe you're, you know, you're not as aggressive in the neutral zone because you don't have Sean Couturier. So it, it really does change things. But you cannot replace how many plays he makes defensively, uh, especially as Sean's offensive game has matured and become almost as good a threat as his defensive game. Not quite, but almost. And you could say the same about Bergeron. He might be a little more offensively gifted at this point, but maybe not, you know, when all said and done. But I look at him and I just think replacing all the plays he makes defensively is the problem. They can still create offense. Morgan Frost can create offense. Once he kind of gets comfortable at this level, he's going to be a good NHL player who's going to be good offensively. You know, Farabee. He's been good in both ends, and he can create offense. Again, you go down the list. Van Reems, they have plenty of guys who can create offense. You do not have a guy. You you basically took Alexander Ovechkin's offensive ability defensively and got rid of it, and, and you're losing all of those plays. You're losing the anticipation, the way he takes time and space away from guys and ends plays behind the net 
and then he gets the puck to his winger's hands or to the defenseman, and then he's able to get up the ice. So it's very problematic not having him, not so much because of the personnel issues. It's not a personnel problem. Morgan Frost deserves to be in the NHL right now. He's a first-round pick. He's paid his dues in the American League. He's gotten stronger. He's had a good training camp. You know, and there's an, there's other guys, even even on the taxi squad or the, the American League team, guys who can play in the NHL, right? But it's it, it, so it's not a personnel issue, but it's a playmaking issue. You're losing those plays defensively that you cannot replicate. It changes the amount of time the Flyers possess the puck. It changes, you know, the amount of time that they're defending because he's ending plays quicker than Morgan Frost is. Okay, quicker than any center on the team. Uh, and you're right. You look at the Flyers decor. There's some inexperience back there. I mean, you've got some guys who, you know, don't have a ton of games, you know, Myers and, and you know, Sandheim to an extent and Robert Haig. I mean, these guys aren't 500 game bets. So these guys are a little more exposed. When you have Couturier back there in the defensive zone, you always know where he is. He's a quarterback. He's very vocal. He's directing traffic defensively. He's, you know, usually taking the other team's most highly skilled centermen and pretty much making them null and void, except for the power play. So it's monumental loss. And, and they absolutely have the depth. But honestly, if you, if you said to me, if whoever you pick as the Flyers' most skilled offensive forward versus Sean Couturier, who's the most skilled defensive forward, I'm, I'm saying take the offensive guy to let him go out of the lineup because you can't replicate the defensive plays. The Flyers have offensive skill. They do. They have guys who can score. They have guys who can skate and guys who can create. So you're right. I mean, first of all, one thing you asked me, are you an idiot or are you on the right? You're an idiot. We know that. So yes. I have to like, we know yes. you're an idiot. I, I, and I know Anthony would say the same thing, which is why I want to revisit that point. But you're also not wrong. So you're, you're, you're both. Okay. So I'm we'll, an on we'll the right track that. idiot. This is good. I feel really good about myself. So <laughs> a, a few things to, uh, to go over in that. So one, um, the defensive pairing issues, you know, you, you brought up the inexperience and I think there is a, a kernel of truth to that. But when you have a veteran coaching staff, like this team has, You've got Elaine Vigneault, you've got Mike Yo, you've got Michelle Terrian, who have all been head coaches in this league. I don't understand why it took until the third period of a blowout game to really look at fundamentally changing up these pairings. Like I get that there there are like certain things that are at play, right? There's no uh, you know, normal length training camp. It's an abbreviated, it was like what seven to nine days, give or take, for training camp. You had no preseason games to get ready. One of the pairings that you were running out there with in that camp was Shane Goss's pair with Ivan Provorov. You put together those like twin towers in Sanheim and Myers because they had built chemistry together. And then you were going to kind of like do whatever you could with the third pair. It was probably going to be some combo of, of Braun and Gustafson or Haig in there, something like that. You knew you'd had Friedman probably as your seventh. Cool. Eighth, the Shane Goss, like the, the Shane Goss despair COVID issue, I think was maybe the first step, right? Like maybe that was the first thing that really messed things up. It is because I do know 
they were wanting to start the season with 53 and nine together. And just in talking within to some people in the organization, they were very excited about the way he came back to camp this year. Shane Goss's fear. They were excited about the way he looked, the way he was moving, his knee was feeling good, his attitude, just everything. And when the management staff gets that in their head and the coaching staff gets that in their head, they look at you in a whole different light. And then you feel that confidence and you build off of that confidence. And, you know, the COVID thing, sucks for him I mean it couldn't have come at a worse time because this is a guy who was building his way back into the right you know path with the team and with the organization and it really did throw things off so I'm sorry to interrupt but I want to know it's okay no so that threw the first wrench in and then Surprise, surprise, the move is to put a veteran defenseman with Ivan Provorov on the top pairing. It's the only thing I've been like, you know, yelling and screaming about for mm, two months now about the team's unwillingness and ability to bring in somebody to fill that Matt Niskan and roll on this team. Uh, They go with Justin Braun. What's the biggest problem with that pairing? At least from, from my vantage point, from being down there, from watching everything unfold, it's an inability to get out of their defensive zone they get pinned back so far in their zone and spend so much of their ice time in the defensive zone. And Justin Braun does not drive play out. Those decisions that you're bringing up about Sean Couturier, about him being able to make those quick reads, quick decisions, defensive play, get out of the zone. They don't happen with the Ivan Provorov and Justin Braun pairing. They just don't. And so that comes back to a concern that I had in the off season, which was if you Give somebody who theoretically can pull down your number one defenseman and doesn't allow him to be as dynamic as he can be. You're not only hurting that top pair, you're, you're really dragging that down where it's no longer a top pair at all. I think it took too long to come to that realization that it needed to be shuffled. I'm glad to see that it was shuffled and I'm glad to see that in the, um, the second game against Buffalo that a, a change had been made. But like from your vantage point, was that just a move where you're trying to solidify a pair with another vet and and just kind of take any of the bad with it? Hope that you could survive it until Ghost is back. I I couldn't wrap my head around it past like the two Pittsburgh games. Like even at that point, for me, it was just like you have to change something because it it, it doesn't work. Look, these, these guys, they have a plan and sometimes they get stubborn with their plan. And they force it and they want to see it work until, you know, they feel like this is just unattainable. Like we can't do this anymore. You know, the other thing to keep in mind is they might be looking for a certain matchup or, or they might really like, they want to keep two guys together. So they're willing to screw up other pairs to keep two guys together. Or, you know, there's, there's so which is many probably things. Sanheim and Myers, right? Right. Like that, it, it is. They are very committed to that pairing, which is fine. But at the expense of your top pair, it it doesn't seem as fine anymore. No, I, I agree. And here's here's the thing is that you need somebody out on the ice with with Proveroff that really will go and end plays like end plays quickly. Like when you watch Proveroff, he's such a good skater and he's strong and he's strong in a stick. But you don't necessarily see him diving in to end a play like physically. Now, he'll anticipate something and he'll get under a guy's hands sort of on the, on the, you know, the, the triangle of a guy's stick, 
And he'll get in there and he's so strong with his lower body. He'll kind of turn his waist and he'll win a battle and get the puck out or, or start, you know, moving the puck up the ice. But, you know, Niskanen played a little more recklessly uh, defensively. And I don't necessarily mean recklessly in a bad way. Like, but he would go and his, his contact point was here. Right. And, and, you know, Braun doesn't necessarily probably move well enough at this stage of his career to be as, as reckless defensively because, you know, Niskanen had the wheels to, to get, get himself back into position whenever he needed to. So, you know, I, I don't love that top pair either. You know, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is Eric Gustafson's only been in orange and black for three weeks now, something like that, you know, three, four weeks. So, they're probably still trying to figure out exactly what he is, who he is. You know what I mean? How can they rely on him? How can they count on him? So I think there's a host of factors that are playing into why they're being a little bit stubborn with the defensive pairs. And look, I I think it's a little bit of a problem right now. Like I, I didn't, and I said this in the summer and I was wrong. Like I was surprised how much money Phil Myers got. I really was like, I did not, think he was going to get that because I didn't think he had the leverage for it not that he wasn't worth it but he didn't have the leverage for it so um you know clearly they they see I see sort of some like raw ability with him but I just still see him make AHL types of mistakes and I know that because I was an AHL mistake player like he I thought you were just going to say you were a mistake it's like all right now we got to reach out I, to the uh, no but the Col- you know, Cohen household you know find out how did this come to be? Well, that was my younger gonna... brother, not me. Oh, oh. younger brother. So... Does he know? <laughs> well, he we does now. He's, we tell right. he's adopted. So, but I, I just, I, I still see some of these sort of like, you know, moments with him that I'm, I, he like, they make me nervous. I, I would say so. All right, so give so give give people like an idea. What is it that you see that are like these AHL mistakes that Phil Myers makes? And so, and if I may, are they things that it looks like happens more when he's paired with Travis Sanheim, who he's been paired with going back to the Phantoms, or is it something that like he just makes across the board? I I, I think I I'm not pinning this on the partnership. It's I I see him. The other night, uh, one of the goals against Buffalo might have been the first goal. There's a high flip out in the neutral zone. He, he kind of like he bats it forward and then the play comes back and, you know, he kind of keeps backing in and he doesn't really have anyone. And they end up scoring. I think it was the first goal. Hard to remember because there's a lot of goals that game. But like you have to make a stronger play there. You know, you want to be a, a good high end defenseman in the NHL. That puck comes up or comes at your feet, you like 99.9% of the time you're making a hard play right there. And the puck is going to be advanced into a lower danger area in order to, you know, start the transition. And I just think he's still a little too reactive. You know, I don't think he's in front of the play enough. And, and so, you know, I think Travis Sandheim is a great partner for him because of how well he skates. And I think Travis Sandheim is, very, very smart player. I, I, I watch the way he sort of anticipates the game and sees things like things slow down for him. In my opinion, I, he's one of those types of players. I still think things move really fast with Phil Myers. And I don't think that's his fault. I mean, Russ, how many games has he played in the NHL? 
Like it's not that many, you know, his, his first year, he got called up at the end of the year when the team was already pretty bad. If I remember correctly and played 15 yep. games, right. Yeah, he then had, last he had 21, 21 games in his first season, 50 last season. And then obviously these four plus the, the postseason right. where but he last, and, and Sam both year, struggled a bit. And last year he start, you know, he didn't remember what happened in training camp. He ended up in the American league or, or, you know, like it just, after, which was interesting because that was right after Vino had said, even in the off season leading in, they wanted to go lefty righty on every pair. He brought up Phil Myers by name. I'm pretty sure he brought up Phil Myers when we had Vino on this show before the season last year, he was pretty much a, not a pencil. And he was like a, a, a write it in with ink. Oh yeah. And then got Played sent down out. Yeah. and, and admitted that he was devastated and that helped him, you know, like that fueled that fire to, to, yeah. you know, show that he was better than what he showed in camp and, and in the preseason. So, all right. But I, just, anyway. I see him force plays that were mistakes I made. They were mistakes that kept me out of the NHL. You know, I, they would watch film with me and say, Colby, like you can't make this mistake at the NHL level because every forward will put this in the back of your net. So what I want to see from, from Phil Myers before I'm like fully sold on him is I want to see consistency. I want to see, you know, over, over a longer stretch of games. I want to see consistent hockey from him. Don't try to make the cross ice play. It's just, it's not your game, you know, make that pass to the winger on the wall, get the puck to Sandheim, defend hard. I mean, the kid's got, major abilities huge he skates well he's got a heavy shot he stick handles well i mean he has every tool like if you're drawing a player you're that's how you draw it you know what i mean so um it's interesting to see though like i i'm interested to see where they go with the d pairs from here and and i think that i am still one of these people that i will say this shane gostosphere this team is better if he is going if he is playing good hockey, he doesn't have to be Bobby Orr, but if he plays good hockey, this is a better team that has a chance. He's older. He's more mature. He's been around. He's had the ups and downs. Um, he's dynamic. We know that when he's getting a shot on the goal, it's heavy. So I hope he gets back and gets playing. I think it will help calm things down defensively. Um, I think this is a good time to get a guy's game back because I just think this is a weird year, almost less pressure. In my opinion, there's no fans. It's just, it's just, it's weird. It's less, less distractions. You're more focused. You can't on the road. You can't go to dinner with your friends from the other teams, which is actually something I want to talk about with you at the end of this podcast. Cause I was chatting with some of the guys over the past you want to go to dinner with me i know i'm about, i'm charming about, i'm wonderful i know we can't because of the protocols and that's that's the problem here so that we is could actually, go we could go outdoors this is a good time for your plug we could go outdoors on thursday night let the people know what you have going on yes we are going to show the flyers game at renault winery which is in egg harbor city now, I have an ice skating rink that's outdoors. We've got about a dozen fire pits, and we're going to kind of create this flyer's tailgate and ice skating. So we'll have a big screen for the game and ice skating, obviously. I mean, do you, could you have a better backdrop for a hockey game? If you wear flyer's colors, jerseys, whatever, 
will give you free rental skates, which are normally 15 bucks. So you're basically getting more than 50% off with some flyers colors. There'll be some drink specials, some food specials. It'll be cool. Like I, I sort of envision it as like a flyers tailgate with ice skating, um, which I think would be kind of cool, especially because like we got nothing to do right now and we'll have all the fire pits going to try to keep everyone warm. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Um, I'm again, I'm a delight. I'm wonderful. I'm every, I am beauty. I am grace. I am Miss United I, States. But I do think it's important. We talk about the human element to like what these guys are dealing with day to day right now, when they're traveling, when they're on the road. Like I want to kind of give everyone an idea of what, what the players are saying and, and what it's like. We can keep talking hockey. Let's just make sure we visit it at the end. No, visit it now. We're already down that road. It's fine. All right, we'll come back. So let's visit it now. So um, this is a weird year. Like we just said, it's maybe a little bit less pressure. So talking to one of my buddies who um, plays in Anaheim and he was, I asked him, you know, cause they just had a couple of games in Vegas and then um, Minnesota was in Anaheim to play, play them. And, you know, we were all roommates in college. One of the guys from Minnesota, Anaheim, so I said, you know, did you see Nick, you know, Benino I'm talking about? And he said, no, I couldn't. He said, we literally are not allowed to see players from the other team. I said, well, could he come out to the bench, say hello? No, couldn't do that. Couldn't come out to the bench. You can't go down. Normally there's the hallway between the dressing rooms and, yeah. you know, you can kind of go halfway and your, your friends that you have been, they come, they meet you. Then you go to dinner after a game, you know, that that's part of, this whole thing is, is like the human side of it. You see your friends, guys you played with on other teams, you know, could have been the best man at your wedding, all that stuff. So, you know, he told me that the road trips, although quick, because you're only, you know, you're doing a lot of the home and home. He said, they feel really long because you're not allowed to leave your room. He said, you have your own hotel room. And then the team has sort of a team room. He's like, but if you want a, a bottled water, the protocols, like you can't go to the lobby and get a bottled water. You can't take a walk to CVS. You can't, a lot of players like to go walk to Starbucks before they catch the team bus from the hotel to a game. You cannot do any of that. So he said like a two day road trip feels like five or six days away. He said it's, it's, he said it's brutal. And, and he wasn't complaining. He understands it. We're in a, in a weird time with this pandemic, but I said, yep. wow, I, I never really thought of that. I mean, one of the one of the things that I always loved when teams would come from out of town, my friends would be in town. Like we would always go to dinner. I mean, um, you know, almost probably every other week there's a team coming in and guys that you played with or I played with. And it's like, yeah, you know, like where should we go to dinner tonight? It's like, oh, let's go try this place. Go try that place. Like that's like a huge part of broadcasting, playing, working in the league it's the human side of seeing your friends seeing people you care about um getting the time to catch up with them and talk about what's going on a lot of guys are just having their first kids and you know new teams so it, it it was an interesting thing to hear and then all of a sudden you go from sitting in your hotel room you can't do anything and then you go to the game there's no fans and i i i do i think it's it's challenging it is i mean um, listen, the guys are compensated very well. So just take that off the table. We're talking about human beings. Nobody's complaining, but I'm just reiterating some of the things that I've been hearing from the guys. And, you know, part of what makes it the best job in the world is the team building, the camaraderie, spending time with your teammates. 
You can't do it. You can't ride down an elevator with more than one of your teammates. Like, so, so you know what's interesting is I know that a lot of guys didn't enjoy the bubble. The Edmonton one apparently was was hell. Toronto was like, okay, depending. Depends on your life situation. If you're young, if you're single, if you don't have kids, you might have enjoyed it a little bit more. If you're away from your wife, from your kids, obviously it wasn't easy. It was a thing that I know I had brought up and a couple of availabilities over the summer of like, if the season had to start in a bubble, is that something that you would be okay with? I remember bringing this up with Ivan Provorov who like kind of smiled. Cause he, he was like, yeah, because he's, he's game for anything, but it's a little bit different for, you know what? No, he, you're right. He's like, he, like he doesn't care. Only if you said, hockey. like, if you said, listen, Wells Fargo center isn't working right now. We just like, threw some water out in the parking lot. We're pretty sure it froze. Are you okay to play? You know, you might have to sign a waiver. He'd be like, I'm already out here. Like, uh, it's fine. It's okay. So he's like, I expect more than anyone I ever met. Maybe like I expected guys like him to say like, sure, we can do a bubble. If you want to do a bubble, whatever gets us back, whatever gets the sport back. And then there are other guys like Brian Elliott, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, who have kids of different ages, obviously, and like Brian Elliott's an old, you know, uh, relative, you know, to everyone else is, is the elder statesman on the team. Like it's going to feel different for him. I, I would understand if they didn't want to do a bubble. It's interesting to me because the day to day, like when you're talking about being on the road, the day to day life sounds more oppressive in this current structure it is. than it was in the bubble, which I wonder if the players really had wrapped their heads around when this was all being brought up, because the idea of, of starting the season in a bubble, I know is a thing that was being discussed at the league level and the NHLP was very against it. I'm not saying that the players regret it because the truth is that on the flip side of that, when they're home, they're, they're home. with their kids and their wives. And so that is the most important thing is, to them is a much bigger thing to have is that, that bit of freedom and having that access to people they care about at home. And you make that trade off for the road, yeah. but it is interesting You're- to hear you know, just how strict the protocols are, by the way, that should give fans, I think a little bit more appreciation for what's being done. I think it should also give like a little bit of context that like the NBA and the NHL are not at the same place in terms of like, what is okay. And what is not okay. If Alex Ovechkin just decided to go AWOL for two weeks, like Kyrie Irving has done to the nets, that wouldn't go over well. No, if, if you Ovechkin's saw like on the COVID list right now, because of because of guys weren't wearing masks. Nobody said yeah. o- o- OV has COVID, but they broke the mask policy. So if LeBron James breaks the mask policy, LeBron James isn't missing time for anything. Like yeah. he calls the shots in that whole league. So it's a great point. I mean, it's 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 important. It really is. And I'm not even saying which way it's important. I just wanted to point it out. And the last thing I would say about it is is like, especially so I'm 31 you know, most of my good friends are probably between, you know, 27 and 33, 34 in the league. Right. Um, And they all have either just had kids or have very young kids and none of them, it was a non-starter for any of them to be away from their children for an extended period of time, especially like Kevin Shattenkirk is a good example. His son is, you know, just about a, is, is a little over a year. So like, he's very new. Like all he wants to do is go home and be around his son. 
And I'm yep. sure it's the same for Giroux and Van Riemsdyk. I know it is for, for, for Reamer. Um, you know, like all they want to do is be around their children because they're first time parents. And so, you know, it, it's, it's an important aspect of this whole thing about how the league is handling it and, and what's going on in society. And I know you've been talking a little bit about vaccinations and, and the players getting vaccinated, which is a very hot button topic that people, they just want to be angry no matter what you say about it. Um, but it, it, it brings up a lot of really interesting and, and good points. And it's definitely thought provoking, no doubt. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was thinking a little bit about it, especially after I was sort of catching up with some of the guys on how things are going, you know, how's the play been? What do you think? Like, is it slop? You know, and, and, and so I feel like I wanted everybody who listens to this to sort of get a little bit of a glimpse in, into that window of, of what these guys are kind of dealing with day to day. That was good. I think it's sometimes it's important. That, that's one thing we like to do on the show, the human side of things, you know, it's important. It's a very undervalued thing by the public as a whole. You just think like, oh, this guy's making hundreds of thousand dollars. This guy is making a, a million dollars, you know, suck it up sport. You know, try saying that to your 18 month old who's asking where daddy is. That is, you know, listen, I'm not going to try to make myself sound like a, uh, like a hero or a martyr here. Right. But I'll go down and cover a game. And that leaves my wife home with our three kids who are like ages eight months to five and a half. Right. And so when I know, and I'm younger than you. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Nobody would know that when they see, I'm starting to like, feel like I'm getting like the lines, like the wrinkle lines on my head. Like it's all over for me. Three kids, you know? Yeah, it really is. Um, But like, I, I got to a point where I felt like I was like breaking on the inside to be away from them, even for like the night to like say bye to them in the morning and then not see them. So I started like doing a little bit of FaceTime with them, like right before the game. So they would get to see as everybody's out on the ice, which like my boys really like, and, and they understand, but like my baby girl's right there. And then I think about like how much it would hurt to be away from them for longer than that night. And so like there, I don't think there's any amount of money that, that you could pay somebody. That's why guys but, opt out. They, yeah. they don't care. They'll, they'll walk away from a very short window of earnings for a full year because it's, it's the money. It doesn't matter. Like it, yeah. the, the, the way you feel outweighs it. It really does. So, yeah. you know, but it's a, it's a good, it's a good parallel because it's all it's, it's relative in your own situation. Like your situation to you is, is your way. And to that, yeah. so it's relative, which is something I try to remind people when they're, you know, when they get angry about, um, you know, Joel Embiid acting like a 20 year old kid, or it wasn't Joel Embiid. It was the kid who they ended up getting rid of. And he had Snapchat. And, yes. Like, yeah. Marco Fultz. I hate like, Marco Fultz. Hate Absolutely despise him. He can't play basketball, but not yes. because he's a like, hate him because Snapchat. he crashed his bike and he lied about it. You mean, sure. That even fine, but don't be mad at a night. I just don't like liars. I don't like that. That's I don't like, listen, I don't like when a reporter writes a story accuses two veteran players of laughing at their coach. And then, you know, when contacted, I want to get into this because media, media time, media and accountability and players and accountability. Let me lay out some facts because not everybody seems to have the facts of this whole thing. And any, you know, any kind of color you can add to this, by all means, please feel free. 
Mike Sielski, who writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is like, quote unquote, the gold standard for the city, right? An iconic brand, a paper that is known nationwide. He writes a story a year ago. He is a columnist. There is a difference between that and a beat writer. I think everybody at this point understands that. And then there are obviously like freelancers. That is also fine. He goes down and like part of his job as a columnist is to find something that's a side thing, that's a trend, that sticks out and write about it. And sometimes you add some flair. Sometimes you add some color to it. And ultimately, that's what your job is. It's not to go down and cover the team every day. It's not to write the game recaps. It's not to do any of that. So a year ago, he's down in the locker room. Now, I wasn't there for that. I think I was working at the other job when this happened. But I talked to a few people who were in the locker room at the time when this happened. So Elaine Vigneault is doing his press availability last October. Yeah, it was like last October, middle end of October. And he brings up the names like Jake Voracek. He brings up James Van Riemsdyk. He brings up Claude Giroux. It's notable because no previous coach had ever really talked about those players in public. JVR is kind of the exception because he, he wasn't here through you know, the, the years that he was in Toronto. But the idea of Jake Voracek and, and Claude Giroux specifically being called out by a coach or having their names mentioned as guys that he needed you know, production from, that wasn't a normal thing. So that caught a lot of people's eyes, right? Mike Sielski wrote a piece, and in it, he he said that James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek were off to the side, and they were laughing. And it was like a throwaway line in his piece. But, like, it's kind of insidious is, like, the way I would phrase it. The, the way that he went about throwing it in was almost like to plant a seed of doubt. Almost as if, like, this guy still doesn't get it. His coach is calling him out, and he still doesn't get it. Um, I'm looking for the exact quote now. I had, I had the article pulled up. It doesn't really matter. But anyway, this is, this is the thing. We're, like, 15 months or so past when that initial thing happened. Sealski asks a question in a post-game press conference. It's being done over Cisco WebEx. It's not quite the same thing as being in the locker room, but we're past a year beyond when this came up. Sealski's not there for every game. He's there for some. He's a columnist. Sometimes, you know, like you'll see Ed Barkowitz down there. Sometimes you'll see Marcus Hayes down there. Now, obviously things have shifted. Some people have taken buyouts. I don't know if Ed Barkowitz is now like the guy doing the beat. doesn't matter right now. No, same Carchidi is. Uh, Sielski goes to ask a question. It doesn't go well. Uh, do, do we want to have the audio piped in? Is it worth it? I think we, at this point, everyone's heard it. So Voracek goes in at him and says that you're going to write your crap anyway. And then says that he's a weasel. And then that set hockey Twitter ablaze. There are two problems. One, you're... Your last place of employment somehow dropped the ball that in the 20 minutes it took from when it was said on that web conference to when it hit air on NBC Sports Philadelphia. 20 minutes. I timed it. 20 minutes between the comment and airing. Nobody thought to say, Jesus, maybe we should take a look at the audio. Listen to the audio. Oh, hey, Jake just F-bombed a reporter. You might want to cut that one out before you get there. Just saying. So it goes, it goes over the air. People clip it. Welcome to 2021 where everybody clips every bit of audio they can find. It's great. 
And then the fallout of it is Jake gets talked to by the league. The league has a conversation with him, I guess, presumably about you can't do stuff like this with reporters. If it's an issue, you know, you got to handle it through communications. That's why there's PR. That's why there's a communications department. If you want to have that conversation or you want to get word through to that reporter, you have to go that way. You can't do this. Go ahead. Finish. So Crossing Broad reaches out to Mike Sealski the night of to get his side of what happened and why he thinks that Voracek went off on him. Sealski gives like a, a somewhat lengthy response. But what it comes down to is he says that he wrote it on Halloween of 2019. He went to write a column. He saw Voracek and Van Riemsdyk laughing. He's writing a thing. He puts a line in and then Flyers PR reaches out and says, hey, this doesn't sound good. Like th- this sounds off. So Sealski said, okay, I went back in. I changed things. No big deal. No must, no fuss. Except there's a problem. In his explanation to the site, he said that he didn't actually mean that they were laughing at Elaine Vigneault. The issue with that is he lied. And I don't like liars. I don't like when people lie. If, you, if you're going to say something, if you're going to call a player out, you have to stand by it. I have said for, I don't know, four or five years that Jason Peters should have retired from the Eagles. They never should have brought him back. He can't finish games. If I saw Jason Peters in person, I'd piss my pants if he, if he came up to me, <laughs> right? And once I got done doing that, I'd change my undies. And I'd say, listen, man, you can't finish games. And I'm sorry, but that's you just do, the truth. You do not like Jason Peters. I, I have... I think I've muted. He might be a nice man game before because of your just angst towards. He might be a nice, might be a nice man. He can start (laughs) games for you, but he can't finish them. So here's the problem though. I found the tweet, not from Halloween when the article was published. I found the tweet from the day after. And in the day after Mike Skilski tweeted the following, he put his article out and he said, I don't know why Jake Voracek was laughing at Elaine Vigneault's comments yesterday. I just know that he was. A column on a coach with credibility calling out the Flyers two stars. Tell me something, Colby. Does that, the day after he wrote it, does that sound like a guy who was saying, I didn't actually mean it? No, it doesn't. It, do, it, it doesn't. And see, I, I love what Jake did. I think that there's not much accountability in the media. And I I think that players should stick up for themselves because they hear it and they see it. And so if someone's going to write something like that and cause an actual problem for a player, actually for two players. And if you watch last year's history, things didn't go great for those two players with their relationships with the head coach. As evidenced by their ice time, where they were in the lineup, and also the coach's comments about those two throughout the rest of the year. And it's early, by the way, that was early in the season. You mentioned before, that's the point where you're trying to build some kind of credibility with a coach. And in that case, a brand new coaching staff. And you had somebody from the top newspaper in the market where you just got hired saying, by the way, these guys who never get called out, they were laughing at you. And you put no, it out I, there for everyone to see. Forget ice time. I'm talking about the interpersonal dynamic. Like there was not, 
it was a strange interpersonal dynamic between, you know, some of that stuff last year. So forget what you can read and see in the stats and the ice time. I'm talking about the stuff that you actually can't that I, you know, gathered from the situation. So a bad look. I, I like the way that Jake Voracek handled it. I think that he handled it head on. Um, he took his shot when he finally got it. He waited and he waited until, you know, he saw him and he had the opportunity. Um, and listen, I, I think that um, I don't know Mike. I've never met him. I've really not seen much of his stuff. But um, I think he'll think the next time he decides to, you know, do something with clickbait. I, I think he'll think twice about it. Um, and I think it's good that Jake showed personality because we have a lot of players in the NHL that have personalities that don't really show them because, you know, that's just not what you do in the NHL. You just don't. I mean, Jeremy Roenick used to do it and he was beloved for it. Um, you know, Patrick Waugh did it. I mean, there was a lot of, there's been players over the years, but not that many that really show serious personality um, in these situations. And, as we're sitting here, I've got, you know, the, the Oilers um, Toronto game on my TV and they just released statements. Uh, the Washington Capitals did. We were talking about COVID protocols and Ovechkin, the team put out a statement, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'll let people read it. But Ovechkin's statement, I regret my choice to spend time together with my teammates in our hotel room and away from the locker room areas. I will learn from this experience. So, probably had four to six guys in his hotel room hanging out on the road. You can't do that. You can't spend time with your teammates on the road. Like that's what the road is for. So I know we're digressing a little bit, but it popped up on the TV. I thought it was relevant. And yeah, I mean, I, I thought Jake was great. I, I liked it. I laughed at it. I laughed at Travis Konechny's response. He, he was so funny in his look and, and, his body language. Um, I don't know how he kept it together. I'd have fell out of my chair laughing. Uh, but you know, I think that there probably needs to be more respect from maybe from both sides. Like I, I think, look, I probably had a chip on my shoulder towards a lot of writers as a player and felt like, yeah, these are, you're a writer. You don't know what you're talking about, but there are a lot of writers that know what they're talking about. There are. And you didn't have to play the game to really understand it. Um, that's something that I've learned in my post-playing career because I've been around a lot of people who I do feel have a really strong grasp for the game without having played it. But I think that there could be respect from the writers back to the players too. And I, I think that that's missing. I think that that's, that's majorly missing. And um, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I, I was in, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Hockey is supposed to be entertaining. And, you know, I thought it was good to see a guy um, show some personality and, and, you know, I, I can't imagine there'll be any more fallout because he said what he needed to say. And I think he'll move on. So just so that it doesn't seem like I'm being unfair and unbalanced. Like I do think that like, at some point I'm like fairly confident that since October of 2019, till what we saw yeah it's october of 19 until yesterday sealski has been in the locker room this is a thing that like he and and jake Voracek could have easily worked out or could have had the conversation i don't know if they did have a conversation i would assume that if jake went public like that they did not um it could have been handled and like the people that are upset and the people who thought that like it was a 
ridiculous like overstep by a player. I mean, like I, I, I can hear that side. I can hear that argument. But I think if you kind of take into context or you take into account everything that had kind of led up to that moment and, and everything that's happened since. I get why the guy was mad like I do. I think that like at some point, I think it ended up happening, but like at some point, like everybody just had to come to the realization. They're both big boys. They're both going to wake up in the morning and put on their big boy pants. They're both going to go off and do their jobs. They don't have to like each other. They don't really have to respect each other. They're going to go about their lives. Nothing really changes. Nothing fundamentally changes about the way that anything is going to be done. The, the hope is obviously that anybody who writes about a team is going to do a responsible job and do their due diligence and not throw things out without at least talking to the player first. That is one thing that like from the media side of this or from the writer side, people who were there that saw what happened, that were there for the fallout said that was like the one spot more than anything where there was an egregious error. That's the thing that you talk to the player about off to the side. I saw this happening. I'm not going to write this unless like you tell me that like, yeah, that that's actually what was happening. Like confirm with me or deny with me that that's what I saw. But again, like that shouldn't be just a throwaway line that's meant to kind of like catch people's eye. You know what I mean? So I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I thought that it was a funny quip. I think that if all things had gone the way they should have, if NBC Sports Philadelphia had caught that within the 20 minutes that they had from when it was first said, when I tweeted about it, when I think at least one or two other people tweeted about it until the time that it got to air, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have seen it. I can tell you right now, there's only one outlet that would have written about it. It probably would have been our site. But here's the one thing I knew. When it happened, I said to myself, there is no chance on earth that the Flyers PR team lets that clip get out because they send us all of the video clips of the press availabilities. I was like, they're absolutely going to clip that interaction out. It will never see the light of day. Maybe we tweet that like this happened, but that's it. There will be no video. And guess what? If NBC Sports Philadelphia had just somehow figured it out, it wouldn't have happened. It would have been a thing between the player and the writer in our socially distanced world, and no one would have cared. All right. Is there anything else that you want to touch on with the Flyers this week? We've got Phil Myers and Morgan Frost out. They both had MRIs. We did not have an update today, which I find slightly concerning. If there had been nothing, if there were no structural issues, you think that they would have probably released a statement on it today. They didn't, which is making me kind of lean in the direction of we could be going a bit of time here without Phil Myers and Morgan Frost. First thought that pops in my head, let me know if, if, if you're on the same page here. Connor Bunneman is a guy that this team has relied on in the past in a fourth line role. Are we just going to see Scott Lawton move up to third line center, have Bunneman slide into the 4C? Try to make do until Morgan Frost is back. Yeah, I, I think you'll see Lawton move up the lineup. I think that's why he's so valuable. I and mean, we've seen him play anywhere from the first to the fourth line. He's capable. Um, I don't think they're going to split up Konechny, Patrick, and Lindblom, um, which is something that I wanted to talk a little bit about. You asked me if there's anything. You know, I, I just – I watched that first goal – 
and I and something we should look at is there video on these podcasts or is it just audio? I mean, we could. Do you want me to do you want me to pull the video for you? Well, no, I'm just saying something we should look into, which I think would be something cool. Maybe we did it every few episodes or whatever. And we, we did more of like a nerdy analytical, like some film breakdown of like some goals, some non goals, just whatever, like just pick of course, four percent is relative. Yes. OK, um, we're here. Yeah, none of that. But um, just to actually show people, you know, sometimes I'm talking fast and I'm hitting on things and just to actually show them. And everybody has the NHL app. So go watch here, I'm going to I'm going to pull up the I'll pull up the clip. Well, you can break it down here. Maybe we'll use it for social. So get yourself set up. What is it that you like about that line? I, I like every, like I just you have speed on don't, that line. Don't go like full on like The Bachelor on me and be like one of the contestants. I just love everything about you. No, like, what, no, no. I, what I is loved... it about the line that, that you are such a big fan of? So, okay. We know Travis Konechny can score goals. I mean, he's been the most consistent goal scorer on the team now. He's paid to be a goal scorer. He's progressing. Um, you know, he's he, he scores goals for this team. You know, then you have Oscar Lindblom, who is now healthy. Before Oscar yeah. Lindblom you know, had his battle with cancer. He was turning into being one of the most reliable players on the team very quickly, who potentially is your smartest, one of your smartest players from an IQ standpoint on the team. So then you add Patrick, who's, you know, just back. Uh, He's skating like a bat out of hell. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Tyler Seguin at that age just the way he moves, the way he shoots the puck and the speed that he skates with. I mean, he, he looks, you know, to me, uh, he's, he's sort of, his game is matured without him playing. So maybe he's just matured in general, Um, you know, and, and maybe it's the chip on his shoulder right now, but I, I like his game so far. And what I loved about the first goal that the Flyers scored the other night was, all three of these players were involved and they all made a big time play on this goal. And um, I, I don't know exactly where you have this from. So maybe you want to start. I have it, it just, it's just about when, uh, when Nolan Patrick first chips it up the board. Um, so, right. What you See, miss, I, what you miss I, is the I context actually, that. So that's fine. I, I want to show that part, but before this Russ, Nolan Patrick comes back and, and Jonesy even says it in the broadcast. Um, he's like, Oh, he might've got away with one there. Um, but the reality is, is he didn't get away with one. He made a good play defensively. He came back hard. He leaned on the guy. Okay. He defended with his feet and his stick, which is how he should defend. Nolan Patrick does not need to play physical. He needs to defend with his skates and his stick. So he defends the play. He backchecks the puck. He knocks the guy off the puck and he makes a good play with his stick, which is what breaks up Buffalo's rush. So now you have a guy who hasn't played hockey in a year, who's getting back in shape. He sees the, you know, why it's important for him to get back and he makes a play defensively. We talked a lot about uh, Sean Couturier making defensive plays. Well, Nolan Patrick makes a a defensive play and then this is like so textbook Oscar Lindblom and the best wingers in the game and you can start it. They know where the pressure is. So you watch Oscar get the puck there and he turns, he, he uses his shoulder. 
he checks and he can feel where the defensive pressure is. It's, it's a quick little shoulder check and all in one motion, the guy turns his feet up the ice, which is something that I've said on the broadcast before. I've talked about the way he gets his feet up the ice on the wall. It's one of his better strengths as a winger. He's going to win battles because he knows how to feel pressure. Some wingers are so good. They know, all right, the defenseman's pitching. I got to move down two more feet in order to buy myself a few seconds of time. Here's the play Here's defensively. Uh, that, that's a good defensive play. And then he makes a smart chip. He feels two guys pressure, okay? And he gets it right around to Lindblom. He didn't hold onto the puck. He didn't try to chip it to himself. I mean, that's a great play. And then Oscar, he feels the pressure, so he gets lower. A lot of wingers would have been up at the blue line, but he moves about five feet down and watch, turns his feet up the ice, one touch pass. Now he misses Konechny, but it works out. And then Konechny does the rest and he, he makes a good offensive play and, you know, he does what he does. But like the play that Patrick makes on the back check, that defensive play, and then that chip behind the wall, that's instinctual right there. And then the fact that Oscar was moved down the wall, Russ, I cannot stress the importance. If Oscar Lindblom does not come back to below the progressive sign there, it's a 50-50 puck, okay, about six, you know, four or five feet up. And he's got a defenseman who's crashing down on him. And at best, he's chipping it off the wall. And maybe it's a 50-50 puck. But that defensive awareness, that defensive positioning – and the, you know, the skill level of Oscar to turn his feet and get that thing right up the ice on that defenseman that's pinching. I mean, that's like, that's a big time play right there. You know, that's what makes a really good NHL winger. Now, someone tweeted me that they thought he's the best, you know, one of the best two-way wingers in the NHL. I'm not ready to say that. I'm just not, you know what I mean? I- I'm not ready to say that, but he, he is one of the most reliable players on the Philadelphia Flyers. He is incredibly smart and well-positioned defensively. And that's why he gets points. Oscar is never going to wow us and toe drag a guy and blazing speed. And no, he's going to do the little things defensively, which are going to get him offensive points. It's, they're not going to play a lot of defense because he moves down the wall an extra four feet instead of taking a shortcut and they get a clear rush up the ice and score a goal. So, you know, yeah, to, to your first thought, you're like, oh, wow, he makes that good area pass and connect me, he's in the right position, and they score. So much more on that play from the get-go, from the back check, defending with your feet, that little reverse, you beat two four-checkers with that reverse, Lindblom's positioning, and and – that's why I said if we could, you know, do some video breakdown at some points on some of these, I think it would be cool to show people, um, you know, a little bit of the game within the game. Because usually, you know, the goal and the assist is, a, is important, but there's usually two to three touches, plays, assignments, positional moments that lead to these opportunities. So I loved that goal. That totally set the tone for me. And I looked at that and said, wow, this line might have the the right mix here to be like a a line that can ride it out all season. Like one of those groups, you just don't split up because they sort of have the perfect mix. And, um, you know, I've, I've been uh, definitely pleasantly surprised in, in Patrick. 
and I continue to hope and root for him because uh, I, I want to see him healthy and playing and playing well. And, you know, so far, I, I think that he's, he's brought good energy. And look, the kid can skate. I mean, he, yeah. he gets up the up, up and down the ice. And seriously, if, if, if you ever go back and watch Tyler Sagan when he was in Boston in those first two years, it's, it's a lot of Patrick. I mean, it's a little perimeter at times, but then he's starting to learn what his strengths are, how to get in and shoot a one-timer. The skills are, the skill part is easy for this guy. I mean, please, the kid wakes up and he's this skilled. So I, I like the line and I, I love Oscar's game. I just do. I mean, you just, you can't find anything wrong with him on film, which is, is hard to do in a game that moves this fast. You can find, errors that Nick Lidstrom made as a defenseman. I'm having a hard time finding errors for Oscar, you know, shift in and shift out. He's just, he's smart and he's, he's, he doesn't take shortcuts on the ice and he's always in the right position. So things work out for him pretty well. I don't know if this is going to come through or not. We're going to try it. We'll see if it, uh, we'll see if it goes through. There was something that I took away from that line that I want to end on. Like, I think that we end on a high note. I feel like we're trending that way anyway. So I, I asked Oscar Lindblom after the game about playing on that line with him, Nolan Patrick, Travis Konechny. You're talking about guys that are the elder statesman of the group is 24. Nolan Patrick's 22. 23. Travis Konechny, like you think about it, that's insane. The amount of skill that these guys have, the fact that Oscar last year was leading the team in goals before his diagnosis. The fact that Travis Konechny ends up, you know, leading the team in points a season ago, Nolan Patrick looks legit. I mean, like looks like he has gone to another level. You would never know that he missed time. Here's the thing that I like the most. Let me know if you can hear this. Oh, ah, all right. This is, Oh wait, no, I know. I hold on. Here we go. I promise. I know how to do stuff. Here we go. I was going to say, I can play it on mine if you want. No, I got it right here. I'm good. I've got it. I know exactly what to do. Here we go. You tell me if you can hear this now. Oh, when we play together, we, we're having fun. Here we go. Let's start over. I mean, we all love each other on and off the ice. So when we play together, we, we're having fun and like uh, all of us growing to growing into the game and trying to get better every day. So as long as we can help the team winning and, and getting better every day, that's just going to make us better. So we just have to keep going. And like I said, getting better and hopefully we can, we can push our, our team to, to do, to do good things here. Now, of course, I mean, like 40, we all love there, there are, there are like 40, ah, there are like 40 hockey cliches in there, right. About helping the team get better. What's the first thing that he said there? We all love each other. We all love each other on and off the ice. It was interesting because that's what I thought he said. And then I looked at the Flyers transcript and they they interpreted that as we all know each other on and off the ice. I'm like, that's not it. He, no, definitely, he definitely said definitely we all love, love each other. Yeah. And let's let's end the show on this note. You think about what this team has been through because, you know, it's it's very common to kind of jump to Oscar battled cancer and you think about Oscar only you don't necessarily think about Oscar's family or his close friends or his teammates, right? It's like, he's the one that's in the battle. Nolan Patrick's got this other thing going on that has, you know, had uprooted his life 
had upended his existence, had taken away from the game that he excelled at. And you don't think about all the other people that are affected. These guys are back in the locker room. These guys, when you talk to their teammates, talk about how much they both bring to the locker room. That void, that emptiness that existed last year without them in it is now full again. And you brought up the hockey, you know, the, the, the human side of hockey before. There has to be something to be said for when guys that had a real scare as friends, as teammates, get these guys back. You start to like you, you were fighting for each other before, but this is another level. You bonded before, but this is at another level. And when I hear something like that, that's the thing that gives me the hope that not just this year, but that going forward, this team has found a real love chemistry bonding something that matters and when you look at some of the great teams of all time in any sport are there examples of of teams where stars didn't like each other sure but for the most part teams that can rise to the occasion are the ones that trust each other and that believe in each other and when i hear something like that that kind of transcends the sport to me that that goes well beyond any other quote that could have been said about anything else that catches the headlines that one quote alone is enough that makes me believe that this team going forward is in good hands. Yeah. They have a very good core and it's not just on the ice, you know, again, like I I'm new, I'm not new anymore, but I remember when I first came around the team a couple of years ago, I was like, I didn't know anything about Nolan Patrick. And I know there was a stigma about him. His teammates freaking love him. Like guys were devastated to not have him around the room last year. I mean, devastated. I mean, they love him. So it's, it's, you're right. I mean, it's, it is a we thing, not an I thing, especially in the game of hockey. And the Flyers, they've done a really nice job assembling a core group of young players, a core group of veteran players, and mixing them together into this hybrid group of, of core that they have. And, this year's goofy, man. We don't know what two weeks from now are going to look like, let alone the playoffs. But, you know, there's reason to be optimistic if you're a Flyers fan. And I'm not saying that means you're going to be going to a parade on Broad Street this year. I just mean this team is set up for success and longevity with the goaltender, with the young players, and with the, the veterans they and with the staff. Like, you're just – you're set up for success. And that'll be – my last point of the evening. All right. So we, uh, I just want to point out, you know, I know people are going to be devastated that we're not going to do know the goalie this week. I'm sorry. Uh, I did say a week ago that if you could go over to Apple podcasts and leave a five-star review, I'm sure it was going to make Anthony really happy. And I know that he hasn't been checking um, all of his social accounts. I think he's been seeing some of it. Um, I'm sure that at some point he'll start responding. I can tell you, Colby, that a week ago, um, once that episode dropped, we picked up another uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. Yeah, we picked up another five reviews since uh, since last week. People that just want to make Anthony happy. So I'm not going to read them yet. I want to read them when when he is back and he is here and he is dunking on me like always. But um. If you have a chance, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. The rating is great. We love the ratings. It's an easy thing to do to just click the five stars and be in and out and on with life. 
But if you if you feel up to it, leave a review and let the let let Anthony know that you miss him or let us know that you like the show better with Colby here or let us know that you wish that Anthony and Colby did the show together or that it's a three man booth or that we did two or three episodes a week. You you give us a direct feedback there. Of course, you could do that. You can tweet at us at Snow the Goalie, Instagram at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie, and Snow the Goalie at gmail.com. If you're not a social media person, if you think that it's all a big government conspiracy to get too much information about you and your life, don't worry. You can send an email. We're happy to read them. Send it our way. Um, Colby, there were a few questions that came up on Twitter. I think we addressed pretty much all of them. Um, if we missed any of them, we'll make sure that we get them on the next episode. But um, uh, just one more time, plug the uh, the live event that you're doing, where it's at, how people can find it, how they pay. Are people going to wear masks? Is there distancing? Yes. Give, give, so give people some stuff. It's outdoors. Um, it's at Renault Winery, which is in Egg Harbor City. And I built a skating rink. Uh, it's about a 60 by 100. So it's about half half the size of a regular one. Um, and we'll put a big screen up at the one end of the rink and we'll show the Flyers game. Like I said, all outdoors, fire pits, um, wear Flyers gear, Flyers colors. We'll give you free skate rentals with a, you know, a full price admission ticket, which is, um, 10 bucks online, 12 bucks at the door. So you can buy tickets for it online, or you can walk up and buy them. There'll be some drink specials. Um, like I said, fire pits to keep everyone warm, you know, public skating, hockey, what could go wrong? And yes, masks, <laughs> masks, mandatory. Everyone has to wear a mask unless you're eating or drinking. Even when you public skate, we do require people to wear masks. Not actually our rule. It's the state of New Jersey's rule. So if you don't agree with that rule, I, I'm sorry, not my fault. Just following what the governor's office has made me do that's it all right so Next time i need need you to plug it for me you're you're better at plugging than me do you like hockey do you miss being at wells fargo center well listen colby cohen has a thing for you this thursday night flyers (laughs) public viewing yes just like they do with the world cup in europe public viewing big screen fire pits galore wear your damn masks make sure you get your skates skates for free with the with a uh uh full uh full price admission ticket $10 $10 online, $12 at the door. It's an easy way out. Nice thing to do. You want to take the, the significant other out. You want to take the, the significant other and kids out. Bingo, bango, bongo. They got it for you. They're doing some great things. Drink specials, food specials, Flyers fans that you get to spend time with. Who doesn't love that? Let me tell you who. The Penguins fans, because they're still miserable. They don't care that they just won two games. They got stomped by the Flyers. Buffalo. <laughs> hey, by the way, we didn't even talk about this, but Kruger Somebody needs to send him some Kleenex. This whole thing about Provorov getting checked into Hutton and him saying that Provorov knew what he was doing, that that was all nonsense, that it was premeditated. Give me a break. Anyway, I said we weren't going to end on a negative note. So make sure you go out to the public viewing Thursday, big screen, Renault Winery, Egg Harbor City. And if I'm listen, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have concerns, tweet it, tweet at Colby Cohen. He's at Colby Cohen 36. All right. Easy, easy to find. All right. So we will be back next week with a new episode of the show. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at snow, the goalie, Instagram at snow, the goalie, facebook.com slash snow, the goalie, send Anthony some stuff at Ansan Philly, Colby at Colby Cohen 36. I'm Russ at joy on broad. Thanks for checking in. 
We will talk to you again next week.